What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped inside my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, it's all about generational upgrades and the two latest games to take that step in the near future. So let's talk about it and dive right into the episode in my news catch of the week. Gamers, when I talk about generational upgrades, what exactly is it that I mean? Well, each console is considered a generation in and of itself, right? So the PlayStation 1, 2, 3, so on and so forth. Each one of those consoles is considered part of a generation. And you have multiple consoles from multiple manufacturers, typically in every generation, and so on and so forth. Well, here we are, and we are in... This current generation, which includes Xbox Series X and S, PS5, and the Nintendo Switch, which has kind of done a couple of generations now, if you will, because it came out before these consoles. So if you look at this current generation of what we have now, as far as console gaming is concerned, every so often, and I, you see it a lot more often with this current generation, I would think, and I feel like at least, you have games that came out either at the beginning of an older generation, maybe even a couple of generations ago, that, you know, with the amount of time and people and money that it costs to create a game nowadays, sometimes developers and publishers may be apprehensive of putting out brand new experiences or, in today's day and age, getting rid of crunch culture, which is a positive thing and taking more time to create these experiences that we all love to enjoy and digest. In the interim, what are the options? Well, you can't always create mini games, if you will, in between, or a constant stream of expansions and DLC. That doesn't always work. That doesn't always keep us gamers around. So what are you going to do? Well, publishers and developers then will look at a game that it was a massive success in the past and something that maybe its fan base or potential new players would want to try out on the new current generation of consoles. And maybe that current generation, like the one that we're in now, is capable of doing things and visuals and features that were not previously optionable in the previous generations that this game may have released on. So this week, I want to talk about a couple of games that are coming in the near future with pretty sizable upgrades from their previous versions on the PS5, the Series X, and the PC. And the first game that I want to talk to you about, it's none other than my favorite game of all time. Did not stutter. Favorite game of all time, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Now again... Beings that it's my favorite game of all time, you might think that I'm pretty excited for this upgrade to the PS5 and Series X capabilities, functionalities, etc., etc. Well, I definitely am. You know, The Witcher 3, as far as my history with this series goes, it was my first introduction to The Witcher and the main character of Geralt of Rivia. This was my introduction to that entire world, that cast of characters. I had never read the books. I had never, obviously, the Netflix show wasn't out at the time. 
And I had not played the previous two games that it released. I never even knew of the original game. It was the second game that released Assassins of Kings that first kind of tipped me on to The Witcher and its existence. And it was really thanks to my brother-in-law that tipped me off to this game, but I still never played it. But I tell you, I say it a lot on this show, and it is the truth. The Game Informer cover story for The Witcher 3 blew my mind. Visually, what I was looking at, content-wise and gameplay-wise, what they were talking about that you could be expecting to do in this game and in this world, uh, it was just absolutely amazing sounding. And I was not disappointed. I ended up dropping well over 100 hours, almost 200 hours in this game's world between the base game and its two absolutely phenomenal expansions, Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine. And the interesting thing for me, I actually did not play Blood and Wine when it first released. It was actually a couple of years after its initial release that I ended up going back to it because of my hype around the first season of the Netflix Witcher show. But man, let me tell you, that Blood and Wine expansion was arguably... <laughs> One of my favorite experiences throughout the entirety of The Witcher 3. So when CD Projekt Red, I mean, we've been hearing for, uh, I would say, even argue and say years at this point. Last couple of years, there's been rumblings and rumors of a next-gen upgraded version of Witcher 3. We finally got confirmation a while ago that it was coming. They were working on it. And just this past week, we had CD Projekt Red come out and say, look, We'll see a live Twitch stream from CD Projekt Red themselves at some point next week. So it got me really excited. They actually, in the tweet that they put out, showed a screenshot of what was an absolutely just phenomenally gorgeous shot of the way the sun plays over the entire landscape. You got Geralt on a horse, and I mean, just uh, it looked absolutely gorgeous. So I can only imagine how amazing it's going to be to actually play this thing on a PS5 or a Series X with those updated visuals. But it's not just about the visuals because they are including dozens of performance and technical enhancements over the original release. Those include ray tracing support, faster loading times on consoles, as well as a variety of mods integrated into the experience. And they also have stated that there's going to be brand new DLC content that is based around and themed after the Netflix show. So a lot of really cool stuff coming. This is also going to apply not just to the base game of Witcher 3, by the way, but also its two expansions I mentioned, Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine. So every piece of Witcher 3 content ever available will be touched by this upgrade. And that is amazing. It's also going to be free to anyone who has previously purchased the game. So if you already got the game digitally or if you got a physical copy, just pop it in your disc slot and you will be able to upgrade for free. I cannot wait to see what other details we may get. Maybe there's some surprise announcements or aspects of this announcement that we're not going to be privy to until next week. And I cannot wait to see what those are. But that was only one of the two games that have recently somewhat been confirmed and announced that, hey, these games have massive upgrades coming for PS5, Series X, and PC. The second game, Fallout 4. Gamers, I am a massive Fallout fan. And even though I feel kind of weird saying a Fallout fan, I feel like uh, maybe I should say Fallout 3 fan just to be legit with it because... In all honesty, a little bit of history of myself in the Fallout series, 
Before Fallout 3 came out on the 360, way back in 2008, I knew nothing about the Fallout series. I just knew that this new game called Fallout 3 was developed by Bethesda, who created the amazing Elder Scrolls 4 Oblivion and Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind before it, and it looked phenomenal. And I love those two games. So I was sold from the announcement. And when I played the game, oh, I got to tell you, it was kind of a love-hate relationship in the beginning hours of that game for me. But it wasn't until I got to the quest, and those of you that have played it will know what I'm talking about, where you have the giant ants that you actually <laughs> you actually go underground, and there's this whole quest line, and there's this... this uh, it was just really, really good stuff, and it got me hooked, and from that moment on, just amazingness after amazingness, uh, absolutely loved Fallout 3, completed the game, played all of its DLC, lots of great memories coming from that game. So when it came time for the next entry in the series to come out, which was Fallout New Vegas, I was super stoked. I will admit, I was kind of apprehensive because Obsidian Entertainment was the developer on this title, whereas Bethesda Softworks is the one who developed the previous game. So I'm like, ah, is this going to be the same high level of quality as Fallout 3? I guess we'll wait and see. Well, gamers, I am still waiting to see because to this day, even though I bought it on day one, release day one, I never played Fallout New Vegas. You know, I unfortunately had the bad luck of releasing on the same day as Star Wars The Force Unleashed 2 and Fable 3, both of which I opted to play before playing Fallout New Vegas. And at that time in my gaming career, I opted to play one game at a time until I beat it. And it just by the time I beat those two other games had come out and I moved on to those and just years have gone by, man. You know, there's talks of Bethesda, potentially Obsidian also being interested in possibly doing a remake for Fallout New Vegas. And I mean, a full on remake, not an upgrade, but a, a remake. I would be 100% down for that and be there day one. <laughs> and this time I would actually play the game. I'm a little bit different the way I approach my gaming now than I was. Wow. How many years? 14 years ago now uh, was the first Fallout 3. And then we had 2010, I want to say, was when Fallout New Vegas came out. So 12 years. Yeah, I've, uh, it's definitely a bit different now, the way that I approach my gaming. But regardless, with Fallout 4, again, I didn't want to have the same repeated lack of success and not play Fallout 4. <sighs> Would you believe, gamers? I did. I repeated the same mistake of not playing it it also came out the same day as rise of the tomb raider and i am a massive 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 tomb raider fan so i could not play rise of the tomb raider when it came out and i just never got the fallout 4 my wife on the other hand fell in love with the series because of fallout 4 that was her first foray into the series so it worked out you know she was still able to be falling in love with the series and telling me how amazing the game was and here we are. So it works out because now Bethesda has recently confirmed that there is going to be a PS5 and Series X and PC upgrade to Fallout 4 coming in 2023. No specific date, no specific month or anything yet, but it is coming in 2023 as part of the celebration of the 25th anniversary of the Fallout series. And again, it will be available for those players on PS5, Xbox Series, and PC. And what comes new with it, you might ask? Well, it does have a new Creation Club content package. 
performance and quality modes, which are going to allow for, get this, 120 frames per second and 4K play, as well as some bug fixes to make the experience a bit smoother than it was back in the day. Because you know Bethesda, they always launch their games with bugs. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of a tradition at this point. But I really honestly hope this does well. And it prompts Obsidian and Bethesda to get together and actually do that remake for New Vegas. Now, the only negative news that anyone can kind of derive from this announcement is the fact that it kind of does confirm that we are a ways off from getting that Fallout 5, that official sequel to Fallout 4. And look, gamers, Bethesda's already actually stated that they're not going to be even thinking of Fallout 5 until after Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6 ships. Now, the last I heard, Bethesda said that Elder Scrolls 6 was in the pre-concept phases. Kind of like, hey, we're getting together in a room and talking about what we want to do. Like, not even at the, we're sitting at a desk at a computer trying to create. <laughs> we're just talking at this point. Now, I'm sure that was months ago, so I'm sure they've made some progress. and Probably, probably some pretty significant progress since then. Especially since, hopefully, it would be uh, my assumption that Starfield is getting ever closer to release. And with that being the case, typically in big studios like that, once the game gets closer to release, some of the team will start to slowly migrate away from that current game and then onto a new project. So hopefully that means more and more people every day are going over to Elder Scrolls 6 because that's another one that I would love, love to play. But regardless, Fallout 4, The Witcher 3, both coming with brand new upgrades to bring them into the next generation of consoles. You know, it's not just the visuals, but also they spoke about the frame rate. That's awesome to see that without the bugs and to see just the smoothness of how the games are going to run in today's tech. But also I think about, especially like with the PS5, if they have DualSense functionality, you gamers that listen to my show, you know I'm obsessed with the DualSense controller. If they were able to implement those functions in some way, that would also be awesome. So there's a lot of really cool stuff here. Typically, I'm not one for remasters or upgrades, but I've had a lot of good times with upgrades here, even in the recent past. Just in this calendar year of 2022, two different upgrades that stand out to me that I played and enjoyed are both Cyberpunk 2077 on the Xbox Series X and A Playtale Innocence on the PS5. So a Plague Tale, that initially released in the PS4, and then they upgraded it to the PS5, visuals, frame rate, dual sense functionality, and it was amazing. I can't imagine it any other way. So that was huge for me, as well as the fact that Cyberpunk, when it came out, look, I didn't have the issues that a lot of people did, but I did try it out once the update rolled out and the upgrade that came way back in, I want to say March, somewhere around there. And it was actually really, really smooth visually even better than I remembered it. It was just some good stuff. So I have definitely opened my eyes to upgrading these former released games and even games that I've played before, like The Witcher. That new content that's coming with it themed around the Netflix show, that'll probably entice me to actually load this up. Fallout 4, I just, I just want to play the game. So either way, I'm very excited. There's some pros and cons to upgrade you know, on, when it comes to certain games, but overall, I think it's a positive thing and one that I cannot wait to try out on these upcoming titles. 
So that's my catch of the week. Now let's open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, if you checked out last week's episode, you will know that I am absolutely obsessed right now with one game and one game only, and that is God of War Ragnarok. So since we last talked, I have dropped another 13 hours into this amazing experience for 29 hours total. And I would say I looked into it to kind of see where I am as far as the overall completion of the game, because there's no real progress percentage tracker or anything like that within the game outside of just the realms individually. But I wanted to know exactly where I stand as far as the overall game. So there's 12 chapters that it looks like are broken down the game is broken down into and i have just completed the fourth chapter so from a main story standpoint i'm a third of the way through now when it comes to everything else in the game world and all the collectibles and upgrades and challenges and different things and trophies because i did announce and declare that i am doing a platinum pursuit on god of war ragnarok so when it comes to all of that rolled up into there i don't necessarily know i'm still a third of the way through because there is so much content here, but it's so good, and I can't stop playing it, and I'm just loving every second that I'm playing it. So when last I left you, though, I was exploring the underground tunnels of the barren desert in the realm of Alfheim, and that is where that I'll pick up this week. Now, I did make my way through those tunnels and found out what that wounded animal that Atreus kept saying he was hearing was, and let's just say that it wasn't exactly what I expected, but it was awesome, of course nonetheless. Now after this quest, I continued searching the barren desert for any more collectibles or chests that I had missed, and honestly, I stumbled across another Draugr hole. Now gamers, Draugr holes, if you haven't played this yet, they are kind of like mini crucibles, if you will, is the way I look at it, because there is a specific Draugr named The Hateful, and he pops up, he's supposed to pop up at least, in six different locations throughout the realms. And each one of these locations, they're known as Draugr Holes. And he doesn't come alone. He's got Draugr that he brings with him. And he is very, very nasty. Uh, you basically got to take him out and that'll close up that hole that you are nearby at that point in time. And let me just say, that was a that was a fun fight. He He don't play around. He's very quick. He has a lot of immolation or moves that can burn you, if you will. And that just uh, that just drains your health bar and can be very frustrating. So regardless, I came out victorious. And after this fun fight, <laughs> it was time for me to move on from Alfheim and head back to Brock and Sindri's treehouse and progress the main story. Now, in doing this, I ended up in the realm of Jotunheim, the land of the giants, in a place called Ironwood. So if you played God of War 2018, you'll remember that, of course, you did go to Jotunheim, but it was, I'll just go out and say, a very different area of Jotunheim than where you are in this game, which, as I stated, is a place called Ironwood. A lot of amazing story happens here. And a lot of other amazing things as well, but I'm going to talk into detail about those amazing things a little bit later in the episode, 
and you'll you'll know when it's it's coming to that point. <laughs> so let's just say that I had a great time in Ironwood and Jotunheim, and ultimately continued to progress the story, which led me to the realm of Vanaheim. Now, this is a realm that I was very much anticipating getting to and looking forward to based on trailers and screenshots. There was always this jungle-looking setting, and I didn't know what realm it was. I wasn't going to read into it, or I, I didn't want to risk any chance of even the slightest hint of a spoiler. I just wanted it all come to, to come to me naturally as I'm playing the game. So, that jungle environment is in Vanaheim. And Vanaheim is actually the home of Freya. And if you've played these games, you will know very well who Freya is as a character and what she means to Kratos and Atreus within the context of this story. I just got to tell you, Vanaheim is absolutely gorgeous. The way that the foliage is designed by Sony Santa Monica, the again, the flora and the fauna. I mean, they just they've done an amazing job, Sony Santa Monica, at really immersing the player in these realms and in these worlds that you're traversing and have just done a great job of making it feel bigger than what honestly it actually is. And I love that though. I don't I don't necessarily want a massive sprawling open world God of War to be to be hundred percent honest. And it's a conversation that a good friend of the show, Graveyard Gamer, the Graveyard Gamer podcast right here on Anchor, as well as on many other podcast platforms. Check his show out. If you like mine, you'll like his. I promise you that. But him and I talked about it and you know it's it's kind of one of those like, man, I don't know that I would want to have a massive open world God of War game. I just don't know. I, look, I'm open to trying it, but I don't know if that's necessarily what I want. I love what Sony Santa Monica has been able to do with these refined, just perfected, linear but not linear open hub worlds. It's just amazing. And it's no different here in Vanaheim. It's a beautiful environment. And the other awesome thing about it that I loved is you get to see it at both night and day. You know, typically you go to a realm or in most games, you go to a world or an area. And unless it's an open world game, it's on a night day cycle. A lot of times you don't get a chance to see a night and day difference in the environment. Well, that's not the case here at Vanahat. You do end up getting to see it in both day and night. And I thought that contrast was actually really, really cool. It definitely does have a different vibe and feel to it in each respective day and night cycle. Now, I will say that as you go through this jungle, though, there is a lot of temple ruins and abandoned villages that you come across and some very interesting backstories that you can find in the lore. Or if you're listening to your current partners at the time, I mean, if you played the games, you know that there is constant banter going on between Mamir, the world's smartest man, the, the head that you have attached to your hip is Kratos. Kratos himself and other characters that you may be adventuring with. There's a lot of really great story beats to pick up on if you really pay attention. So there was a lot of great story beats. I'll say great uh, in Vanaheim. Now, I did complete the main story of this area for now. And I'll also say that I love the additions to the environment and the puzzle-solving elements introduced here in this realm, as well as a new partner to explore with, which, honestly, it really added to a lot of those puzzle-solving moments, as well as the combat, the, the partner in question here. I did complete the main story of this area for now, and again, was told, hey, you can either go back to the treehouse and continue the main story, or you could stay here and explore some more areas that you haven't been to yet. So, of course, it's me. I stayed 
and I explored. And I'm still exploring. I've actually loved every second of it so far. That exploration is done once again in this realm, mainly by hopping on a boat and going down the river lanes of the jungle. And you can stop off at different landing spots and explore those ruins or other areas of interest. It's very similar to the options that you have while in your boat in Svartalfheim and that Bay of Bounty that I talked about in last week's episode. So this is currently where I am, exploring those riverways. And gamers, I cannot wait to get back to it and see what's next. Now, out of all of that, let's go check out and see what my highlight of the week was. Gamers, when it came time this week to look back on my play sessions with God of War Ragnarok and narrow down that one moment, that one session that really stood out above the rest, it was actually pretty difficult. And it's because there's never-ending amazingness in this game whenever I'm playing it. And you know what? That's not a bad problem to have. Too much good. Can there be too much of a good thing? So far, with God of War Ragnarok and my time spent in it, that answer is no. It just continues to just have this infinite feeling of amazingness whenever I'm playing it. But I did narrow it down to one session that I just absolutely lost myself to this game in. And that was what I referenced earlier in my captain's log. It was my time spent in Jotunheim, the realm of Jotunheim. Now, you do go to this realm in the first God of War 2018, that is. And this is a absolutely massively different area and part of the realm of Jotunheim in this game. And it is absolutely amazing. First, I'll talk about the visuals of Jotunheim and this area of Jotunheim. It was just absolutely gorgeous. There is this constant goldish color scheme between the sun just pouring down in over you the whole time you're there and the golden leaves and just the way the foliage and everything kind of mixed together with that and the yellow orange rivers and creeks and waterways that you pass through and oh my god it just it was amazing the environment was just gorgeous the different animal types that you meet across the way or that are just minding their own business and just bringing that environment alive as you explore it and go through. It was amazing. But the most amazing part of this section for me was not just the environment, but the character that you meet in this realm. And her name is Inger Boulder. And I absolutely loved her. She was an excellent addition to this series. And where I'm at in the game, you know, I, I haven't seen her in a bit. So I'm hoping that she actually comes back and we see more of her throughout the course of this game. But for the time that I spent with her in Jotunheim and in the, the specific location of Ironwood within Jotunheim, oh, it was awesome. She was perfectly acted by the voice actress that plays her. And just her character's story, the way she can relate to Atreus and the relationship that they build throughout your time playing through Ironwood, it was just excellent. There's just so many different things that were great about this as well between the visuals and Anger Boulder. And then you have a certain point where you're going through a giant's house because Jotunheim is the land of the giants, right? So you go through a giant's house. And the cool thing I loved about that was the perspective size shift to fit the fact that, okay, 
you're normal size for human beings, but you're going through this house where everything is the perspective and built to size to accommodate a giant. So I thought that was actually really cool. And just in general, I just, it was an absolute blast that I had going through Ironwood. I just absolutely lost myself to it, lived and breathed it and loved, loved, loved my time there this past week. So that was this week's highlight of the week. Now let's open up a buried treasure gaming chest of tips that I have for you in combat in God of War Ragnarok. Gamers, one of the highlights of the God of War franchise, all the way back to the original on PS2, has been its combat. And ever since that first game, I would argue that the series' combat has been ever-evolving. Every entry in the God of War series, even when you branch over to the PSP entries, there's always something a little bit different, something new that's been added to the combat mechanics, and I've loved that about the series. Well, it's no different here with God of War Ragnarok. Obviously, I've talked about the combat and how much I've loved it and how much it has refined what was in 2018. But I had a few tips for you that I just felt like I had to share this with my listeners and to make sure as as you go into Ragnarok, even if you haven't played 2018 and you start out with 2018 because now you're inspired to play it because of the hype around Ragnarok, these tips will still help you in God of War 2018. First up, I gotta tell you, do not sleep on runic abilities. Now, these are abilities that you gain pretty much as you explore and as the game progresses. Some of them you'll get through the story progression. Others you'll have to find as in, in a collectible kind of way or figure out how to open a chest a certain way. But the bottom line, you get these different runic abilities as you progress through the game. And what they do, you're going to use the L1 button to ready Kratos, and then you use the R1 button to activate that runic ability. Now there is a cooldown factor to these, but I will say, so you got to watch that, but I will say these come in extra handy in certain combat situations, whether it's a boss fight that you want to get a nice chunk of health taken off because they, they typically tend to do more damage or if you have, say, a freeze blast move from the Leviathan that Kratos carries, and you sit there and you want to freeze a group of enemies that are ahead of you, three or four of them, you just kind of shoot out this ice blast that'll freeze them in place for a few seconds. Lots of really cool moves in there. You can intertwine this into your combo sets with the Blades of Chaos and the Leviathan, the regular melee combat as well. So do not sleep on those, though. They are great to have and to utilize and to help maximize your combat expertise and experience. Secondly, be patient when it comes to these combat encounters. Now, that's something that I have had to learn even in this, in Ragnarok, after having played 2018. And it's been four years now, but still, you got to be patient. And I had to retrain myself on that this past week. And say, look, don't go in there and yeah, sure, you want to get past the fight. You want to take them out as quickly as possible. But look, sometimes you got to slow down to speed up. And that is no different here when it comes to certain combat encounters in Ragnarok. So if you find yourself getting frustrated or if you're having difficulty taking out a certain enemy or even a boss, I got to suggest to you, just be patient. Slow down a little bit. Take a step back. Really evaluate what the enemy is doing, which leads me to my third and final tip here for you this week, which is live and breathe by parry and block. Parrying and blocking in this game is absolutely crucial, vital, whatever word you want to use to your success in combat in this game. 
whether it's parrying a move that opens up the enemy for you to get a couple of hits of a combo or a real nice powerful move with the leviathan the blades whatever it is parrying is crucial it also obviously prevents you from getting hit with these attacks now blocking is also huge because it does the same thing and this doesn't mean you have to perfectly time a block every single time. I mean, there's some times where there's projectiles. You may not time it perfectly, but don't forget that block button, that L1 button. It comes in so handy, it's not even funny. So live and breathe by parrying and blocking. You gotta make sure to master that timing and figure it out. Again, slow down to see what the pattern is of the enemies, figure out the right timing for the parries and the blocks, and do not forget to use those runic abilities because they will help you out in certain dire situations. So that's this week's Buried Treasure Tips. And it is that time of month, gamers, where I like to look back and see how I did and check in on my previous month's goals I set for myself and my trophy level progress and gamer score quest. First up, let's see how I did with this month's trophy level progress. Gamers, as we close in on the end of the year, it's hard to believe that I only have one more trophy level progress update to give you before my final look back at the year. And also, for those of you who've been following me all season, the very first episode of the season, I put out a yearly trophy level progress goal as well as gamer score quest goal. So check back and see if I actually reached those goals. But for this week and this month's update specifically, as far as my trophy level progress is concerned, last month, my trophy level was 219 90% complete towards 220. And I had given myself a goal of 221 because I mean, come on, 10%, that, that would be too, that, that's nothing. That's no challenge to go to 220. So I had to go to a, a trophy level of 221 as my goal. Was I able to obtain that over the last month? So I did unlock 17 bronze trophies, three silver trophies, and even a gold trophy. Was it enough to get me to trophy level 221? Gamers, I ended at a trophy level of 220, 86% complete towards 221. So I was right there. I was 14% off. Roughly, I would say five bronze trophies. You could break that down to two or three silver trophies, a mixture of bronze, silver, gold, whatever. Regardless, I did not hit that trophy level 221. But it's all good. I still made a, va a valid effort, I would say. And I have a new goal to give myself for next month. So mid-month December episode of Captain's Quarters, what is going to be my trophy level goal for December 17th? Well, I'm going to go with 222. I feel like yet again, it's another month where I'm too close to level 221 or the very next level to say, yeah, that's going to be my goal. And I do feel I will play enough between God of War Ragnarok, hopefully also some Callisto Protocol by then that I will probably be in more favor of reaching that trophy level 222. But check back next month and find out. Now let's go see how I fared this month on my gamer score quest. Gamers, here we are, another month, another gamer score quest check-in. And 
let's just say this month may be a little bit different for you than what you're used to. Because if you've listened to my show before, you will know that my track record with my Gamer Score Quest this year in 2022 has not been a good one because I have probably 90% of the year focused my playtime on the PS5. But still remains the same. I still give myself a goal every month. Let's see if this goal, the goal that I set for myself at the beginning of the year of breaking 292,000 gamer score, let's see if I actually did it this month. So last month, I had a gamer score of 291,890. Of course, as I just said, my goal was 292. So I only needed 110 gamer score. As I've stated before, though, kind of difficult to do that when you don't play the Xbox, right? Well, here we are, gamers. This past month, I did play a decent amount of Xbox. I played a lot of Game Pass titles that came out this past month I was interested in. I've talked about them on the show. I played Fatal Frame, Made in a Blackwater, loved my time with that. But was it enough to get what I needed to reach my goal? Well, 10 achievements were unlocked over the course of this past month. And it brought me to a total gamer score of 292,120. I finally reached and exceeded my goal, gamers, after a year-long goal setting of myself, of the same goal every month. I have finally broken that threshold and reached my goal of 292,000 gamer score. So, with that being the case, and with a little bit of realistic expectation setting for myself, I do have a new goal. Of course, every month I have to give myself a goal still for the next month. December 17th, as stated before, and trophy level progress is the episode that I will update you on that progress. My goal for then, roughly a month from now, is to get to 292,500. So 380 gamer score is what I need. Again, not too terrible. Not too much to ask for the most part. But again, I got to play Xbox in order to reach that. But with Game Pass games coming out left and right that I'm actually very interested in, quite a few of them, realizing, hey, you got a laptop you can play Game Pass on. You don't have to play it on your phone. (laughs) That helped things a lot this past month as well. Maybe I actually will hit my Gamerscore Quest goal two months in a row. You'll have to come back and check it out and see if I was able to do so. But for this week and this episode... Now let's go check out this week's Captain's Decree. Gamers, this week on Captain's Decree, I have a very interesting topic that I wanted to discuss with you and a statement that I want to make, and that is Atreus is awesome. So obviously, I've spent a ton of time in God of War Ragnarok since its release about a week and a half ago now, and in that time... Man, I have gotten to know Atreus on so many more levels than what I had gotten to know him throughout the course of 2018's God of War. Obviously, in that game, you know, I've talked about even as recent as last week's episode, my apprehensions of having this added AI character in general, but also especially in the context of what I had known God of War to be before what we know it to be in this iteration of it now. And after 2018 and playing through it and spending hours in that game world playing with Atreus at my side, I ended up leaving that game absolutely loving him as a character, as well as could not imagine not having him at my side within the context of that style of God of War. 
Well, that carried over into God of War Ragnarok. And from the beginning of the game, it was just, all right, cool. We're still doing our thing. And, you know, you could obviously tell that Atreus has matured. He's now what I would consider more of like a mid-range teenager, probably, I would say, 15, 16 years old at this point. And I like that a lot more than I did as him as a kid. He's definitely not just a little kid as he was mostly portrayed and and as far as age-wise in God of War 2018. So he's grown up. And with that maturation, he's also got more identifiable traits that I can still somewhat identify with as he's experiencing them in this game. So as a character, I have loved to see his growth through 2018's entry, as well as to see the character that he shaped into in this game and that continued growth and evolution through the course of what I've played so far. I just, I can't wait to see how it ends up towards the end of the game. And by the end of this story, obviously I don't want it to come quicker because I don't want it to be over, but I am just very interested to see what happens with his character. But to be that attached to a character is awesome in any medium and in gaming it's one of those things where uh, i just it's such a big deal for me with atreus because it was such a surprise and it's not just about his character his character growth and his maturation throughout the course of these two games but for me it's also about his combat if you played ragnarok far enough into the game now to see and experience the true depth of what you can get out of atreus's combat Man, it is awesome. You know, just as a side AI character, it is amazing having him there utilizing those arrows and all the different other melee aspects that he brings to that combat and the shared experience with Kratos. But when you have these sequences throughout Ragnarok where it's you playing and controlling Atreus and you are going through exploring this world and getting into these combat encounters with him and he is your guy... I'll admit, when I first started those sequences in Ragnarok, I was a little bit nervous because I'm like, man, I don't know how I'm going to hold it now with Atreus. But I got to tell you, gamers, he definitely holds his own. Kratos has done his job well in training and raising a great warrior out of Atreus. And Sony Santa Monica has done an amazing job of making this character someone that is just as, I won't say is as awesome as playing as Kratos, but is just as awesome in his own way. I'll put it that way. And just the combat and the moveset and the abilities that he has between the different types of arrows, as well as his melee, uh, it is just awesome. Atreus is awesome. And it means that secondary, quote-unquote, characters in gaming, they also can share in the spotlight and be as awesome themselves. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming, as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing. <laughs>